Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Guardians. Took a week off because of the holiday, but we are back here at the All-Star break. I'm glad to have with me this week is Ethan Fornes from Waiting for Next Year. Uh, thank you, Ethan, so much for coming on. Glad to have you on. Thanks for having me, Amari. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a nice welcome back for me. I've actually been on hiatus the last couple of weeks. Uh, I got married earlier in June, and uh, that took a bit of the early half of the season away from me because I decided to focus on something a little bit more important, but I've been paying attention right. to the background and I'm going to ramp back into it now. The all-star break was a nice reprieve to catch up on everything that's been going on. Yeah. Well, congratulations. First off for that. I mean, that's, that's Thank amazing you. news. Glad to hear that. Hopefully, you know, all that went much better than the first half of the guardian so far. Much like the first half of the guardians, it got better as it went on. I like to hear that. Speaking of those Guardians, they are at 500 right now, 45 and 45 at the All-Star break as we sit currently. Um, yeah, so first place guards, we're at 500, not over 500, as a lot of people would have expected, but seem to be kind of turning the corner a little bit. Hopefully, uh, the Minnesota Twins have been stumbling, which obviously helps our case, you know, in a weak division. So uh, what do you see currently right now in at the All-Star break with, um, you know, Jose Ramirez being named to another all-star game. He got a double in his appearance, but uh, coming into this week, we do have the Rangers. So what do you kind of see going into the second half? There's a, there's a flow chart that makes its round on Twitter the last couple of seasons under Terry Francona. And it's, it's, it's comical. It's not very serious, but it usually starts with uh, man. I'm so excited. Guardians baseball is back. End of the first month. It's oh, okay. We kind of suck. End of the second month. It's we're going the wrong direction we're at the point where it starts to reach the, Hey, we're, we're coming back. We're making some noise here. We might be on to something. And Jose's a big part of that. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, statistically, you can't even argue that he's not the best third baseman in baseball this year. He's been out of his absolute mind. He's had some uh, assistance from Josh Naylor since the early part of May, I believe. Yeah. May 9th, Josh Naylor has been on an absolute tear since then. Um, it's what we've come to expect in a lot of ways, strong pitching, right? Uh, you've had three top 100 pitching prospects debut this year. Two of them have graduated. So there's some staying power going on. Tanner Bybee and Logan Allen. Uh, Logan is back down in AAA working out some kinks. He had some rough starts towards the end of his first stint, but Bybee's doing well. Gavin is a mixed bag so far, but to be expected with any young pitcher, regardless of the pedigree, the issue with, well you don't have to listen to me tell you it's been the offense bullpen has been statistically good but it hasn't been great when every game is decided by one run so it's been a bit of a mixed bag they're not getting a lot of batted ball luck uh the power has regressed from 2022 but there's been some signs of life the last 30 calendar days for most of the roster so there there's definitely some hope to cling to coming up yeah, and you mentioned uh, Josh Naylor as well as, uh, you know, kind of being a big part of Guardians offense first half so far. 
Uh, now, do you see that in Ramirez? Uh, you know, we all know how he is. He's pretty steady. But do you kind of see that duo continuing down the second half to hopefully catapult this team to a division championship? Ramirez, absolutely. Naylor to a slightly lesser extent because I think – so here's Josh Naylor's numbers since uh, May 12th, which was the start of the series against the Angels. He's hitting 378, 409, 594 with a 175 WRC+. plus. His BABIP is over 400. I do expect some regression there, but regression back to a 300 hitter and maybe a 140 WRC plus guy is still something that will support JRAM going forward without any issue. I did see a really fun stat about both of them, actually, earlier today. It's funny that it kind of popped up and it gave me a talking point here. Mike Petriello at MLB.com did his all-star read-up and follow-up to an article he wrote or to an article in The Athletic from uh, the preseason about who they expected to get the most benefit from the rule changes. He did the deep dive on Savant, and by his estimate, the players who have esti- or who have gained the most estimated hits due to the shift limits, standing alone at number one is Jose Ramirez with 14, which I think almost every Cleveland fan expected this rule to benefit him. And tied for third with a handful of other players is Josh Naylor with 12. And if that doesn't tell you how they're both going and how the season is playing out for them, it's it's not impossible to think that it isn't playing some part to their success. Yeah, I agree with that point. Uh, and during the early struggles of Josh Naylor over the first like month or so of the season, uh, you know, he was slumping. He was hitting worse than Josh Bell, which may be hard to believe at this point. But a lot of the advanced stats shows that he just got really unlucky with the balls that he put in play. So, so to, you know, see where his BABIP, BABIP is currently right now, honestly makes sense. But uh, to, yeah, some degree, you do kind of expect him to regress a little bit. But kind of want to move forward to another guy who, Seems to be starting the corner. Maybe he had some some bad luck earlier in this season, but that's Andres Jimenez, who at you know this time last year was an all star and uh, was a big part of the offense last year as well. But he slumping coming into this or you know at the start of the season, hopefully turning around. Uh, did you see him kind of making that turn as well? Because he's a guy who surprisingly has pretty drastic uh, reverse splits as well. He hits lefties a whole lot better than than he does right handers. Yeah, Andres is such a weird guy. Uh, Waiting for next year had a lot of fun with him and his eventual breakout party last season. Uh, We were all big fans, and and we get like this over at the site uh, with with all the young guys. Obviously, we want to see them play as much as possible. And when Yu Chang was the opening day second baseman, we were all pretty much, you know, torches and pitchforks every day Andres. Play Andres every day. He needs to get out there and play. And then, for whatever reason, he was platooned almost exclusively against righties, and he really gained the moniker Everyday Andres at at the site for us, and that was a rallying cry for us for the longest time. And then he finally got Everyday playing rights, and he was an absolute monster of a player last year, and he turned into all-star Andres. It's been unfortunate to see a bit of regression, um, but it doesn't seem like it's affecting him overall, right? He's... Striking out a little bit more this year, but the last 30 calendar days have been really good to him. He's hitting 255, and his WRC plus the last 30 days is 121. Uh, in that span, he's cracked the 800 club with OPS. He's got an 802. His walk rate's up 2% over what his season total is, 5.2% on the year, 7.2% the last 30 days. So he's getting on base. Uh, his numbers on the surface look 
pedestrian on the season. He's got a 97 WRC plus, but the last 30 days have really helped bring him around. He's still playing great defense. He's got a 1.7 cumulative F war. Definitely seeing a lot more of the line drive and the power swing out of him recently. A lot of issues was that he was making weak contact. He wasn't making the smartest decisions. Now, He's always going to go after that high fastball. I don't think you're ever going to take that away from Andres. But he's starting to get the barrel of the bat on the ball. I forget who it was against, but he turned on one that was up near his eyes and hit it 396 to straightaway right field. So something that they're doing over there, whether he's just seeing the ball better or they've tweaked something in his swing, his game's finally starting to come around. So he's going to come close to another if I had to guess with Cleveland being the second half team that they are probably close to another four F four season, but not quite to where he was last year, but it doesn't mean that he's not gone. That 2022 Andres is not missing. I think he's really starting to wake up. Yeah. That seems to be a lot of a concern for the fans, especially coming off that big contract extension that he had uh, over the off season, make to, just to make sure that last season wasn't a fluke at all, which I don't believe it was. And so it's a good thing that he seems to be kind of turn in the corner because um, we're going to need him plus the other guys. We're relying on him to kind of be a cornerstone of this offense that it struggles to barely score three runs a game. Um, but moving on to Josh's brother is Bo Naylor. Uh, they finally made the move to bring him up. He's going to be the everyday catcher. Of course, he's going to get a couple days off uh, with Cam Gallagher uh, catching Shane Bieber. He's kind of become his personal catcher. Um, but this is a guy that, for me, I'm okay with him getting the rookie struggles out of the way. It definitely seems like they want him a part of the future, and it seems that you know he, he's being groomed to be that everyday catcher. And I think he's got you know some good guys to learn from so far. Yeah, he does. Um, you can believe what you want about how long it took Bo to get the call right. I, I've seen everything from its contract manipulation, its incompetence on the front office's part. They can't identify talent. They're trying to tank. The, the takes were absolutely wild. But at the end of the day, it was really just the front office saying things about Bo to give Zunino every chance that he could to get it right. This front office, and this relates to Andres waking up too, does not need any more excuses to be gun-shy about free agent signings, right? They DFA'd a catcher that they paid $6 million. I don't think any club wants to do that, but especially not Cleveland when he was one of your top five highest-paid players on the season. So, again, you can believe what you want, but at the end of the day, he's passing the eye test, right? The defense behind the plate looks significantly better than what you were getting with Zunino. It is... At the eye test, the surface level as day and night. Yes, it is simply put day and night. Yeah, you don't feel like you're losing games on a passed ball in the eighth inning when Stefan's trying to hold a one run lead anymore, right? So I'm happy with it. The metrics say that the defense is about league average. That includes the blocking, the framing, and I'm more than okay with that. That's what Bo is going to be. He was never going to be this top line catcher. But man, does he have a can in that that spinning 360 no scope on the terrible pitch out by Stefan getting the runner by a step. I I mean, I've been impressed by the arm, the pop time behind the plate. So I will absolutely live with the blocking and the framing as it is the rest of the way. And he's showing signs of life at the plate too. He's still in his approach. He's not really panicking, getting away from that. He's still got a walk rate. That's 9%. He's put a couple of really good swings on baseballs. He's worked every count he's been in. The hits will start falling, so don't worry about the bat. I don't think he's going to be another Cleveland catcher who can't hit. 
he will hit just fine. Yeah, he just registered his first three-hit game uh, over the weekend. Uh, but the reports coming out before he made his call-up was that the reason why he hadn't been called up to that point was because when they made the call, they want him to be the everyday catcher. It makes no sense for a rookie catcher to come up and catch at most twice a week, which to me makes perfect sense. So, you know, whether it's a, an excuse or not, I fully buy into that story and I support it. I'm glad that he finally got the call up and he's getting the chance to kind of go through those rookie pains, even though he's been up last year. Um, he's getting the chance to kind of get those mistakes out of the way. But so far, like you said, defensively, um, yeah, there's been day and night drastic improvement over what you got over Mike Zanino. There's no question about that. And at the very least, you're getting a comparable bat because Mike Zanino couldn't hit anything despite no, his no, three home runs. Yeah, so it, it's it's definitely, uh, you know, a, a good thing to see with Bo Naylor finally being up. Um, yeah, he's slumping. Yeah, go Sorry, ahead. Man. No, I was just going to say they're doing right by that promise too, right? He's mm-hmm. catching three or four times through the rotation. It seems like the only exclusive relationship right now is Bieber and Gallagher, which is more than fine. So it seems like Bo's getting just about everybody. I think he's sad against maybe it was one of Quantrill or Savali's starts. They had Gallagher out there. But for the most part, it seems like he's catching everybody in the rotation but Bieber. Yeah, and offensively, he's like we said, he's coming around. Even though the average isn't there, he's getting great at-bats as well. Uh Great quality of bats. He's running the count up. He's seeing seven, eight, nine, ten pitches in a bat, even if he strikes out in the end. Like you said, that high fastball for Jimenez, well, that seems to be his Achilles heel as well. So he's going to learn. You know, he, he's still very young. He'll come around and he'll be part of the future. Um, but some other guys that are slumping just like him, uh, you talk about free agent signing, Josh Bell, uh, Stephen Kwan, Miles Straw are just a couple names uh, to throw out there. But um, people that we were hoping we could lean on and not even that they're terrible. It's just, you kind of expect more out of them to this point. Yeah. Bell is, um, I think Bell's the most surprising one, right? You brought him in to be the consistent power bat, the installation to Jose Ramirez that this team has needed since that 2016 team. Right. And even the 2017 squad, when you had Edwin hitting near him, it's so bizarre what he's been aside from that two week stretch after the Washington series early in the year when he was the hottest player on the planet, he has consistently underperformed. Like his season stat line is 230, 319, 381 with a 96 WRC plus. I looked at every month of the season, and for every month that they didn't play in Washington, that's pretty consistently what Bell has been, which is bizarre. Where did the power go he's got the second worst strikeout rate of his career i don't know what the issue is if he's pressing too much if there's something and i thought this about his uh, slow second half in san diego last year is there something that we're doing here that just isn't clicking with him and i thought that about the padres so when he came over i had no issues i thought okay well you know we've got a new hitting coach we have all of these guys who do incredible work with contact now we've just got a guy who hits for power and we're going to help him work on his swing this feels like a slam dunk but for whatever reason it just has not developed here in cleveland and this is the one talking about gun shy front office contract signings they gave him a player option so if he doesn't feel after this year that he can top 15 and a half 16 million dollars then we're gonna have to live with this for another year unless they find a dance partner who's willing to take on the other half of that deal and hope that they can fix him yeah um He's been more than disappointing. Somebody that me personally, I was excited about. Um, been a fan of his since he was in Pittsburgh. 
uh, made his first all-star team when the all-star game was in Cleveland, coincidentally enough. Um, but just a guy that when you see him hit, um, and he actually talked about it in his own words, said, yeah, you, you know, when I struggle, um, I launch angle dips, and he's he's just pounding the ball into the ground. His ground ball rate right now is 51.4%, which is higher than it was a year ago when he won uh, Silver Slugger for National League DH. Uh, so it definitely is a problem. He's just beating the ball into the ground. Uh, I guess one thing you can hang your hat on is that he does lead the team in average exit velocity, but he's hitting it right into the ground, which is the issue. Uh, somebody who you would hope to hit 20 home runs doesn't seem like he's going to get that mark this year. Um, but yeah, I fully expect Josh Bell to be around next year at that 16 and a half million mark uh, and just kind of hope that he turns it around, I guess. Yeah, and that's really all you can do with a guy of that caliber, right? Fortunately, you do have Josh Naylor who plays the same position. You have the flexibility to to flip them in and out as needed, right? Bell can focus on hitting if he really thinks he needs to get that and play DH. Naylor's been more than serviceable at first base, even though he's by no means a perfect solution defensively. But, you know, again, he's not costing you games. He's he's able to make the plays that he needs. He, to is, he is the better option between the two as well. That. That, that is more than true in and of itself, right? So, you know, I think that you can hope to fix him. I don't think he's completely lost. Um, this team's always been a second-half team under Terry Francona, so you can hope that some of that magic maybe finds its way into Josh Bell, too. He doesn't have to be the greatest hitter on the planet the second half of the season for Cleveland to have a shot in the dance if this division's going to be won with 83, 84 games, right? He needs to be maybe a 245, 250 hitter and launch an extra 10 to 15 home runs for this team to really make some noise. Yeah, you know who I am okay with him being? And coincidentally enough, they've kind of traded places at this point. Super big fan of this person, one of my favorite players of all time for this franchise is Carlos Santana. Uh, somebody who you know is not going to hit for a high average, uh, you know, other than those one or two years when he first came back. But somebody who consistently hit about 250, 260, but he will get you nearly 30 home runs a year and obviously has a great eye at the plate as well. And uh, but yeah, it, just to make that comp, that's somebody that I'm OK with you not hitting 300. That's fine. But at least give us something out of what we're paying you. And, you know, I keep saying it, you know, kind of turning the corner. He is hitting in the 230s, which is much better than what he was hitting. And hopefully that can continue because he's not far off from that 240, 250 mark that hopefully he can get to. I like that comparison. I do. And he's, he's doing the on-base thing a little bit better, too, right? He's got that walk rate up to 12%. So that's part of Josh Bell's game that hasn't trailed off yet. I like it. Um, but moving on to the All-Star break, uh, by the time this comes out, we'll have maybe a day or so before the second half starts. But as you mentioned earlier, Jose Ramirez making his fifth appearance. He did get a double during that game. Uh, Emmanuel Classe named to his second All-Star uh, appearance. He did not make an appearance during the game. Um, but yeah, what do you what do you see out of those two? Obviously, we know Classe has been kind of overworked and overused, but he has still been effective for most parts. And uh, Ramirez obviously has been steady as he usually is and got the recognition to make his fifth appearance. Yeah, Classe took some time to be uh, with family over the All-Star break, which I can't blame him for. And frankly, I think was the smarter decision. Take some time to go rest, not think about baseball for a handful of days, see your loved ones. And that's really his issue right now. He's the most used reliever in baseball. He's your closer who you have to pitch in the seventh and eighth sometimes because you're only in one run games. It's unfortunate, but it's a symptom of the larger problem, which is the offense. There was some concern early in the year when the velo dipped, but he got that back pretty quick. 
some guys have figured a few things out this year and they've gotten some hits off of them, but I don't think it's as dire as the blown save stat or his ERA really says it is. He's still a dominating closer. And I, I have no problems with it. I hope the rest is something that helps him out. Hopefully when this team comes back, they can get up to four and a half, five runs a game and, and give him some more breathers, like Trevor Stephan, EDLS, and Eli close some games. Jose is the real story, though, because not only did he make his fifth All-Star game, but he set, had Twitter set ablaze by one Shohei Otani, who, when asked pregame of the home run derby, what player are you most excited to share the American League dugout with this year? And he went right to Jose Ramirez. <laughs> Said he loves to pick his brain. They love to chatter at each other on the field. It's just such a fun thing to have quite literally the best player on the planet say, I want to talk to your third baseman. Exactly. Uh, really quickly to your point about Class A, do you think that James Karinchak kind of makes uh, another appearance in Cleveland so far because that would be just yet another option for you late in games. We know, you know, how kind of ineffective and wild he can be at times, but another guy with, uh, you know, a really good breaking ball, high velocity thrower that could possibly give you saves during an off day where you want to give, you know, let's say some, some rest. I think he has to second half. Karen last year was a guy with an ERA under 1.5 and really took a lot of that pressure off of class A. He did go into some of those closer games where you didn't need to use Class A and you got an insurance run and you could afford to let Karen Jack or somebody else close the door at the end of the game. It's it's a piece that they haven't missed because they've signed Steph into this extension. He hasn't been as dominant this year as he was last. They tried with, so far, Henches, who's coming off of injury and isn't quite himself yet. They're starting to put more trust in Eli and De Los Santos, which I like to see. They just haven't had that second would be a closer on almost every other roster type reliever that Karachak was for a good chunk of last season heading into the playoffs. So yes, they do need Karachak, I think, to either regain that form or to pick up an arm similar to that level at the deadline to help take some of the pressure off of Class A. Now, what do you make of Trevor Steffen, who obviously signed that extension, deservedly so, um, but he does have a 254 ERA right now, but it definitely seems like the work has come more, like it hasn't been as easy as it was last year. It almost seems like he really has to work for it. Yeah, just the eye test this year, it seems like guys are getting fooled less by that splitter, so he's having to rely more on the fastball, which is getting pounded. Um, and I could be completely wrong. I'd need to look at the numbers of that, but that just seems to be the story of what happens when I sit down to actually watch him pitch. And again, it's a, it's a symptom of a larger problem, which is the offense. You remember those bad games more right now because every game is so close, right? So you would forgive the 2.54 ERA a lot more often with a reliever if he had three runs to deal with instead of one in almost every situation that he entered a ball game. And I think Stefan, I know his dream is to be a closer, but so far at this point in his career, he hasn't exactly had that level of ice in his veins when he takes the mound. And that's not a knock on him. Some guys just need a little bit more time to get there. This is also only, what, his second or third year as a reliever. He was a starting pitcher prospect with the Yankees before he was Rule 5 here to Cleveland. And the pitching lab went to work with him. So not saying he still can't get there or still make the adjustments to kick it up a notch. But I think it's more of just we're remembering the bad more than the good right now, just because all of these games are so close and contentious. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get to the draft, I do want to ask you really quickly, do you believe that Josh Naylor was an all-star snub this year? Oh, boy. that's A, a lot of people think so, but 
it's not even the fact that I don't think so. I think you can make the case that he was not. If you look at some of the numbers. Do I think that Josh Naylor was snubbed? No. Do I believe that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should have been an all-star over Josh Naylor? No. The AL first base is not a super strong position this year. I, I think Josh Naylor's sixth or seventh in uh, F4 among American League first basemen with 1.4. Statistically, he's having a nearly identical season to Vladimir Guerrero at the plate and playing better defense. So he absolutely should have been. I think if you were going to do a numbers comp between those two, he should have absolutely been picked over Vladimir. But at the same time, you know, I would make a case that maybe a guy like Ryan Noda, who's a rule five draft pick and maybe a more fun story was more of a snub than Naylor out in Oakland. Um, I think it would have been absolutely exciting to see him in Guerrero's position, right. in the home run derby and, and potentially joining in on that game. But if you had to, you know, put a, put a knife to my hands and ask me, I, I don't think he was snubbed. I think he's having an absolutely phenomenal season and I'd love to see him continue to build off of it, but that all-star will come. It will. Respectable answer. I like it. But now we're going to move ahead to the draft. Uh, your Cleveland guardians on the first round, their first selection picking high schooler, Ralphie Velasquez, a catcher and first baseman out of high school with the 23rd overall pick. He is currently committed to Arizona state. So we'll see if he signs or, you know, makes his commitment to college. But what do you make of that pick? Because for me personally, I'm just glad it wasn't another middle infielder. <laughs> you say that now, and then we'll look at the rest of the rounds. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Ralphie. Um, he's a very big kid for a teenager. I mean, I, I think I saw 6'2", 200 plus pounds, right? Um, bat first player. I've heard very, very good things about his zone awareness, his bat to ball skills, all of that. It's all things that I want to hear. Um, he is, however, in my opinion, going to be a prospect that will go as far as his bat will carry him. And that's been a type of player that Cleveland hasn't had success with in recent years, right? Uh, Richie Palacios is one of those guys. He can't field for anything, but he also can't hit for power. So you have a quadruple a type guy who i love him to death but doesn't help your ball club a whole lot uh john kensi noel will go as far as his bat will carry him when he's not striking out 34 percent of the time when he gets hot he gets hot and it's a great thing the book on ralphie so far and it's hard to project an 18 year old up to his 24 25 year old major league debut right but the book would be that he is one of those guys who possesses the rare ability of contact and power. So he's a power hitter who could potentially hit for a, a, a decent average. I'm not saying a 300 guy, but you know, like 260, 275. And the issue being is that Cleveland will give him every opportunity to stick at catcher, but I'm not convinced that he can stay there long term. What do I know, though? I'm a guy at a microphone. I don't work for the front office. I've been so wrong before, but every prospect evaluator will tell you that. But I really like the pick. He, he's something – you said you're tired of middle infielders. I'm tired of contact guys with absolutely zero power. So this is a nice middle ground. You know, you got a guy who can play behind the dish or potentially first base or may just end up being a DH of the future who, in theory and on paper, should clobber the absolute living hell out of the baseball. Uh, now, Bleacher Report grades the Guardians draft as a B plus. Uh, so good, not great, but also not terrible. Uh, were there any names that kind of stuck out to you out of the, uh, you know, group that the Guardians picked? 
So I have yet to do my full deep dive on the draft. That is my plan this weekend because I also have to reevaluate my top 30 prospects list from preseason. I have to do my graduates and all of my changes that I'm going to take a look at. So that includes looking at the draft and seeing if any of these guys, should they sign, uh, are going to earn a spot. Ralphie is on this list of guys that I need to look further into, but everything that I've read so far and seen so far, I really, really enjoy. Uh, I'm really, really interested in CJ Kafis, uh, the first baseman slash outfielder they picked up from Miami in the third or fourth round. Um, another contact guy, but potentially a little bit more power there. I think he hit 13 home runs and 20 plus doubles uh, in his junior year before Cleveland drafted him. Um, which is a little bit better than what they've gotten out of some of their college bats recently. Um, I was a big fan of Joe Lampy last year out of Arizona state who showed some power potential. Uh, he stole 40 bases and hit over 10 home runs. And I was really excited about that. Uh, they like those Arizona state guys, don't they? They do. There's something about the desert. Yeah. But you know, he was a guy I really liked last year. He didn't really show any of that power at the Cape Cod league. And he really, he was a flash in the pan early in Lake County this season. He was one of the hottest player, hottest hitters at the plate the, the first month of the minor league season, but has since cooled off. Um, Kafis could be a, a guy that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, Wilkinson, who was a later round, uh, another guy who's committed to an Arizona uh, college, but he's coming out of Juco. I forget his first name, but he's a big left-handed pitcher, 6'5", 240 pounds. I called him hefty lefty, uh, RIP Jared Lorenzen, but uh, it seems to have yeah. some really good stuff. Uh, the draft, in a sense, so far is, as far as I can tell, Cleveland did what they're best at, right? Which is pitchers and guys who play up the middle. Center fielders, catchers, second baseman, shortstop, plus the pitchers. Pitchers a bit different this year. They didn't get a Justin Campbell power arm. They didn't get a Gavin Williams high-octane kind of guy. They focused a lot outside of Clemmy, who seems to be their big, I guess, flame-throwing lefty, ideally, but I I try not to judge prep arms because so much can happen between now and them making the show, so I try to leave those alone until I see them play in the minors. They focused a lot on guys with relief profiles and interesting release angles and maybe not so much focus on velocity and control, but rather high spin rates or unusual spin rates for guys in college. We'll see how that plays out and develops, but several different relief prospects I've read so far that have interesting arm slots, deliveries, deceptive releases, some interesting extension, you know, not your prototypical Cleveland takes a guy with easy repeatable, repeatable mechanic mechanics and throws. Stop me. If you've heard this before, fastball slider, change up curveball. So a little bit different this year, a little bit off the beaten path, but maybe the pitching labs a bit confident. Maybe they feel they can find more with less. We'll see what they can develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mentioned Arizona State, so shout out to Jason Kipnis really quickly. Um, but we'll get to the second half really quickly. A uh, quick preview, like we mentioned, they are at 500 right now in their weak division. Um, I, I kind of do expect them to win the division at this point. The only thing is, once you get to the offseason, you really don't expect to get that far. Uh, so I do kind of want to get your idea of, of what you see during this stretch, um, you know, Second half, we all know we're a second half team, and uh, we'll get to the trade downline as well because there are some options and some names being thrown out there, but nobody really knows until it happens or it doesn't. Right. Yeah, and they're going to be tested right out the gate with Texas too. I I know they don't have DeGrom at the moment, but, uh, you know, uh, they've got the pitching figured out over there for the first time since that 
three straight ALCS appearances in the early 2010s. Uh, that offense is absolutely disgusting. They hit for power. They steal bases. They play good defense. I mean, I, I think they're the gold standard in the American League right now. The Braves are obviously the gold standard in baseball, but Texas is probably as close to you come after that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the Atlanta series. It's like it, they're kind of like the test the, the that you want, but <laughs> once you see what happens, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, we have another level to go because we're not up to par with these guys. And even losing that last game against the Royals, you were going to for a four-game sweep. And, I mean, not, not that the Royals ruined your season, but just to kind of have that momentum going into the break and coming out of it knowing who you have to face. But with Savali, you're scheduled to be on the Hill Friday. I I have high hopes. I don't know. I feel like he's maybe, I guess you could say, the most consistent pitcher right now. If you asked me a few weeks ago, I honestly would have said Shane Bieber, but we've seen the up and down with him giving up the long ball. And once he goes through the third order or third time through the order, the numbers kind of jump up. But uh, for me, uh, I you know, we'll see about Texas because they also seem to be coming back down to earth with the Astros behind them. So we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And I, as much as these series may be hard to watch, right, that, that Atlanta series was definitely very, at least they were competitive the first two games, right? Kind of nail bitery. They fought hard. It was the the blowout third game where it was just like, all right, yeah, this is where we need to, like, we got to find some power. We got to get some more consistent starting pitching going. But I do look at series like this, and when the young guys do get the opportunity, I very much like these opportunities for Tanner Bybee, for Gavin Williams, to see these high-octane offenses, the best of the best, and what you need to, to face, right? It's all well and good that Gavin has absolutely destroyed the Royals twice, We'll talk again when he's had a start or two where he's gone six and only given up two or three to an offense like Texas or Atlanta. So these are the kinds of things that me, who's a guy who's focused on development at this point, right, with, you know, I I can obviously hope, but I'm in the same boat as you, where if they do make the postseason, my hopes aren't high. So from a development standpoint, these are the types of matchups that I look for and I get excited about, right? What can Bo Naylor learn from facing up against a John Gray or uh, an Andrew Heaney, who I actually think both might be injured now that I've said that. Um, But what can Gavin gather from facing Corey Seager or any of these other big names that the Rangers can throw out there? Yeah. And we talk about the postseason, um, them not getting that far. Do you kind of expect them to be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline to kind of catapult that, that postseason appearance and, you know, determine how far they'll go? So let me ask you this. Is your time frame to try and seriously win now, or do you want to try and load up for next year and beyond? Me personally, I would like to load up for the future, me personally. Then my answer might be either way to trade Shane Bieber. He isn't what he once was, and every start you can kind of feel the value depreciating there. It's like a used car. The second you drive it off the lot, it's no good. Cleveland missed the peak at the winter meetings this past year to move on. And and don't get me wrong, I understand, right? You had Tanner Bybee, Gavin Williams, Logan Allen, and Joey Cantillo, your top flight pitching prospects, and Daniel Espino, right? All of those guys were expected to get a crack at some point in 2023, or in Espino's case, at least make it all the way up to AAA and hopefully pitch 100 healthy innings. We don't know what Espino is now. He's going to go almost two years without pitching at this point. Gavin's debuted, Bybee's debuted, Allen's debuted. And that just leaves you with Joey Cantillo, who was recently promoted to AAA. 
I think to get the most out of this budding core and the future and, and to get as, as much of a window as you humanly can, it would be to trade Shane Bieber for whatever you can convince somebody he's worth of. And that may not necessarily mean getting you a major league piece. We've talked about this a lot at the site. This team needs outfield help, especially outfielders who can hit for power. The best options on the market right now are 28 and 29 year old rentals and Brent Rooker and Lane Thomas. That isn't a long-term solution that helps Cleveland, nor is it worth really sacrificing assets for when you can just hopefully give Gabriel Arias more than three plate appearances in a month and play him in right field. It would be almost the same as acquiring Brett Rooker. Lane Thomas, I could make the argument that he was an all-star snub. So at least for one year, if you were a team felt like you were missing a halfway decent bench bat, he's your guy. He's not Cleveland's guy. So we've talked a lot about you're going to have to take the gamble of, yes, I could potentially see Shane Bieber in an Orioles uniform in the playoffs for a season and a half. But if that gets you seven years of team control of Heston Kierstad, would you say no to that with what he is showing that he is potentially capable of in AAA? There aren't options right now that I think Cleveland can trade Bieber for that I think would losing Bieber, who is still a capable three number three starter, would put them over the edge with the young pitching that they have still learning on the fly. There are players that I think you could trade Bieber for that you could control for six or seven years. I, I'm not saying the Cardinals would ever trade Jordan Walker for Shane Bieber straight up, but you could potentially work out a package of their sellers and, and do something like that. But there are guys out there that you could target with five, six, seven years of team control to work with the core that you have of guys pre-arb and entering arbitration. Yeah, I don't have his numbers in front of me right now, but I would imagine that uh, Oscar Gonzalez would still be an option as well. You know, you send him down earlier in the season, but somebody who you could call up if he's doing well, talk about that power in the outfield, and he certainly supplies that. And if you're not going to play Gabriel Arias, then why not, right? Exactly. Let, let Arias get some playing yeah. time, go get some play. Swap him, swap him out, let him get some regular time in the minors, bring him back up if he does well. Yeah, I'd have no issue with Oscar getting another chance, right? Because we saw what he was capable of last year. If he came up and he was that guy, that would be absolutely phenomenal for this Cleveland team. They could use that. Yeah. Yeah, but before we get out of here, I do want to ask you really quickly to, uh, I guess, project the future, if you will. So, you know, it's October. Uh, the Guardians make the playoffs or don't, if you don't think so. Uh, where do you think they sit in the division, maybe their their record, and how far do you think they get in the postseason? I see Cleveland this year, once again, exiting early in the postseason. Last year, they uh, they got to the ALDS. Uh as the division winner, I, I think they'll end up in one of those wild card matchups as the lowest seeded division winner against the highest seeded wild card, or the lowest seeded wild card. Is that yes? Um, I think they'll probably get knocked out in the wild card round. I don't think they'll make it to the ALDS this year, but you get to raise another AL Central banner. Um, as far as the division is concerned, you're light years ahead of, in my opinion, the Royals, Tigers, and White Sox. Um, the, the Tigers are rebuilding a rebuild. The Royals are absolutely 125% lost. Uh, it's going to take years to undo the damage that Daryl Morey did and get your new philosophy up and running. Uh, the White Sox are a train wreck. There's no other way around that from every level of that organization. They are an absolute mess. The Twins will find a way to find value and spend money. They'll bring somebody up from inside. They'll sign another good starting pitcher to a one-year deal and, and 
statistically right now, they're the best rotation and best pitching staff in all of baseball. They just can't do anything other than hit solo home runs. So, you know, I don't think they're going to end the season worse than they entered this year. But again, you're going to be looking at a winter where you need to find a way to improve, or you're going to be looking at another 85-86 division sprint with Minnesota next year. Yeah, and that's what you don't want because it gets you nowhere, as we've Exactly. Said. Yeah. But, Ethan, thank you for coming on again. Uh, I do want to give you a chance here to kind of let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter, uh, if you write, or you know, plug anything that you want to. Yeah, thank you. You can uh, find me at waitingfornextyear.com. We are a Cleveland-based sports blog. I focus almost exclusively on the Guardians, but we do cover Cavs, Browns. Uh, they do a little bit of sports betting fun over there now. We have a Discord. You can always reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, I am at PopPunkedEthan. That is P-U-N-K-D. Uh, I'll be happy to DM you the invite link. We're just a bunch of guys who like to hang out and BS about sports and we even have one guy who was talking to us about how we built a golf simulator in his garage. So, you know, there's a little bit of fun to be had. Yeah, I had the pleasure to have a couple of guys on. Hoping to have Michael on here soon. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, thank you, Ethan, for coming on. Um, I'm going to plug your stuff in the bio. Make sure you guys go follow Ethan. Make sure you guys go follow Waiting for Next Year as well. Great stuff over there with those guys. Uh, but, yeah, for Ethan, my name is Amari. This has been another episode of Believe in Guardians, and we'll catch you next week.